0: Well, good morning, Aletheia Church. How are we? It's kind of pathetic. How are you guys doing? Good. Thank you. All right. Amen. Like, it's, it's Christmas season, right? Like, can't we be like at least kind of excited? Florida State's not going to a bowl game. I mean, like, see, hold on a second. Why did that get more excitement than me saying, hi, I'm a little offended right now. Okay. Lord, uh, forgive them for they know not what they do. Um, all right, all kidding aside, it's good to see you guys. It's good to be back. Um, my wife and I were in Virginia for Thanksgiving holiday, and so we missed you guys uh, deeply, but we are excited that you are here and worshiping with us this morning. And I just kind of, you know, one of the things that when you, when you travel and you leave and you get away for a, a couple of ways, I think the, the Lord um, uses time away to kind of remind you of um, just how thankful you can be for what you do have. Right. And as much as I love being around family, I think that the family that we have here in the community that we have here at this church, um, my wife and I are super thankful for. And more importantly, it's just great to be with a group of people that love Jesus and want to see him made much of. And so I think one of the things I was thinking as we were even driving back from Virginia, um, as we were sitting in traffic of um, um, America's landfill, uh, South Carolina, Um, I I apologize if you're from South Carolina, by the way, that's the worst part of our drive every time. So he's back there just shaking his head at me because he lived in South Carolina for a while. I apologize, buddy. (laughs) So in all, in all seriousness though, um, you know, I, I love this time of year, um, because some of my fondest memories, um, as a, as a kid kind of growing up or from, from around Christmas time, especially like with the, the closeness of my family and people getting together. And I know that's not everyone's case. Some of us, you know, when you get around family, it's the exact opposite. You can't wait for the holiday to be over so you don't have to be around certain people. Uh, but I mean, w- one of the great things about this season is a lot of the traditions that come from it and, and things that, that families do together and holidays tend to bring out the best and the worst in people. I think we probably know that already. But you know, one of the things that my family always did every year in Northern Virginia is the, the, the first weekend after Thanksgiving, we would go out in the frigid cold and we would go to what was called a Christmas tree farm. And I haven't seen any of those in Florida. I know you guys have Christmas tree farms where they bring those trees in and post them up somewhere and you go pick one. But in Virginia, you actually go out into this field and you would pick a pine tree and you would cut that thing down. You would load it up on your car and then you would take it to your house and put it up as your, your Christmas tree. And, and first of all... If, if you were an outsider looking in that we do that, did not that just kind of sound weird? That we just cut a tree down and take it inside our house? I thought that was kind of weird. And yeah, Jim Gaffigan has an entire joke sketch about that if you ever like him as a comedian. Uh, but I remember one year when I was young, probably about seven or eight, <laughs> we're, we've picked out a tree, and we've, we load that sucker up on, our, on the top of our white van and we're, we're taking it home. And uh, when we get there, my uncle and my dad run into a problem. The tree will not fit into the house because it's too large, and the doorway is not wide enough. And, and, and so, disclaimer, um, Anderson men have a bit of a reputation for our tempers, and my dad was in a bit of a mood once the tree wouldn't go in. And so, um, some of you guys have met my parents when they've come down here to visit, and if you've met my mom, you know that she's pretty much the most patient person that's ever existed on this planet and she loves and i mean loves christmas Uh, she puts up 14 trees a year now in her house and i'm i'm not exaggerating i mean it is certifiably insane but so so here we have this tree and my mom is so excited and my dad is ruining everyone's day (laughs) as he's trying to get this tree in the house. And so my mom, right, in an effort to save the situation and save the holidays, right, begins to intervene and starts offering solutions like, well, maybe, maybe we could take this one back and find a different one or we can, we can figure it out. And my dad, you know, in his fit of anger, yells, it is a tradition in this family that every year we have a live tree in the basement and either this doorway is getting wider or this tree is getting smaller, but it is going in the house. And we're all like, you know, of course, my uncle, you know, in his infinite wisdom is dying laughing at my dad, right? Needless to say, the tree made it through the doorway, and the tradition continued in our house for at least a little while. But I think one of the things, the reason I share that story is because I, all of us have in our families, right, or growing up, we have some sort of crazy tradition that happens. Maybe you wear crazy Christmas sweaters, or you go and you shop the Friday after Thanksgiving, you people that do that are truly, truly crazy people. But you go and shop on on the day after Christmas, or maybe your tradition is just to eat a lot. Maybe maybe your tradition is to just rest and spend time with family. But we all tend to have these traditions centered around christmas time and and one of the things that i think i've noticed as as i was thinking through this series that we're getting ready to start and as we're thinking through heading into christmas is this idea of traditions being good but there becomes a point in time where sometimes our traditions become everything that the holiday is for us and we lose the meaning of what it's really all about like for for my dad in that moment the, more, the most important thing to him was that tradition of that tree. That, that tree that was going to be dead in 20 days, dropping pine needles on our floor that we were going to have to clean up, was the most important thing to him. And so, so really, here's the question I want you to ask yourself this morning as we start thinking through and preparing for the celebration of Christmas. And that, and that is this, what is this season all about? Why do we even celebrate it in the first place? And I'm not talking, I don't want to hear the, the Roman history about how we took a pagan holiday and decided to attach Jesus' birthday to it. I'm well aware of that. But why, but why does the church historically celebrate Christmas the way that we do? And so we're starting a new series this morning over the course of the next four weeks. And it's rooted in tradition. It's centered around the season of Advent. And the, the name of the series is called Advent Conspiracy. Now, let me, let me give you some background because I've already had some questions like, do you think Jesus really didn't come? Is that the conspiracy? Is that what's going on? No, we, we love Jesus. He was real. He was incarnate. We love him. Give me, a, give, me, give me a few minutes just to explain and unpack what we're hoping to do because our goal as, as, as leaders in the church is that you would approach Advent this year differently and that this would be a reset button for you in 2018 so the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years Advent season is much more meaningful to you and much more joyous and a much greater opportunity to make much of Jesus in your life. And so Advent historically for the church is is the season leading up to, to Christmas. And the purpose of that season in church history was that the church would spend time to reflect on this truth that, that there was a time for thousands of years where God had promised his people that there was a coming salvation and that this season is the opportunity for us to reflect that there were, were, there were brothers and sisters of the faith longing for Christ to show up, and that now we can celebrate that incarnation, that Jesus has actually shown up. Um, if, if you've ever read 1 Peter at all, um, Peter kind of explains it this way. If you'll throw up 1 Peter chapter 1 there for me, Leonard, I want to read this to everybody. He says this concerning this salvation, The prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Keep going. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So here, here's what Peter's saying. You're like, Kevin, you just threw a bunch of words out there. What, what are you getting at, right? What Peter is saying is that for generations, Jews longed for what the readers of his letter got to experience, and that was the coming of Christ. That even the prophets who told us right, and predicted things that Jesus was going to do only had a shadow of the image of Christ to come and they longed to experience that. I love that line in, in the Gospels where Jesus says that the prophets longed for his coming, that Moses in particular longed for his coming, that Abraham in particular longed for his coming. And so Advent means coming. And for the church, historically, this has kind of meant two things. It's meant that the church has spent kind of the month of December focused on worshiping God for sending Jesus Christ and fulfilling those Old Testament prophecies to us. And the second thing that it's done is it's been an opportunity for us as a church, even maybe more importantly, to look forward to the promise of Jesus' second coming. That, that we even now as the church live in a season of tension where we long for Jesus to set everything right. And so the question is, is then, well, wait a minute. Okay, Advent series, I get it, Kevin. I'm on board. Got it. Jesus, Jesus came. We're celebrating that. I've got it. That's, what, that's kind of what we're looking for. Well, why Advent conspiracy then? So let me let me read this to you, right? And 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 Pastor Daniel was the one who shared this with me, and they had done this at their church in the past. And once I kind of read up on a little bit, I just loved it. Right? So let me read their story to you so you have an idea of where this is coming from. Because Advent Conspiracy is actually a movement of churches all over the globe that commit together to, to make the Christmas Advent season different that their goal is to be different than those around them. So let me read their story to you, right? He says this, Over a decade ago, a few pastors were lamenting how they'd come to the end of an Advent season exhausted and sensing that they'd missed it, the awe-inducing, soul-satisfying mystery of the incarnation. For many of us, we were drowning in a sea of financial debt and endless lists of gifts to buy, we struggle to find the connection between our Christmas to-do lists and the story of Jesus' birth. Is anybody resonating with this right now, by the way, like thinking about the things you need to do, the places you're going to go, and yet still saying like somehow in the midst of all that we do around this season, right, this is supposed to be about a baby born in a manger, Anybody else resonating with this so far? Okay, I got a few of you. All right, He says this, An overwhelming stress had overtaken our worship and celebration of the season. The time of year when focusing on Christ should be easiest was often the hardest. Somehow, this had become the new normal for us. So in 2006, three pastors, Chris C., Greg Holder, and Rick McKinley, decided to try something different. They called it Advent Conspiracy Movement and came up with four tenets, worship fully, spend less, give more, and love all. To guide themselves, their families, and the congregations that they served through the Christmas season. And so here's going to be our goal as Aletheia Church over the course of like the next four weeks or so. Where we're going to kind of present this to you and then we're going to just give you guys a few kind of charges, right, for when you leave here to start thinking differently, right? Because over the next four weeks, we're going to cover these four areas, and we're going to seek to kind of encourage you to live them out to make Christmas what it's really all about, and that is Jesus, right? If you guys leave here after the month of December saying, I want to make more of Jesus, this will have been a success. Okay, so if you got a Bible, turn with me to Psalm 150. That is, that is where we're going to be this morning. That's where we're going to primary. And will you guys do me a favor? I have never asked you guys to do this, but will you guys stand with me? We're going to read the Word of God together as a people. And I see some of you guys' faces already. You're like, this is, this is really hard for me. Um, if you can't read, obviously, then I don't expect you to. But if you can read and you have a pulse... I expect you to do this because I I believe there's power in, in God's people reading his word together. If you don't have a Bible, you can read it off the screen in front of you. But starting in Psalm 150, verse 1, please read with me. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with sounding cymbals. Praise him with loud clashing cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for humoring me. On that one. All right. So, I want to show of hands on this then, right? That's our text this morning. That's what we're gonna be like, who in here actually does love Christmas season? Okay, about most of you. Okay, good. So, so we're gonna be working from the same place then. Okay. Um, so, let me ask you this question. Think internally right now as I ask this kind of rhetorically. Why? Why do you love this season so much? Is it decorations? Uh, is being with family presents santa if you if you love by the way um I, by the way if you if you've got if, you, if you're into the santa thing that's for you but i've always found it amusing that if you, it's an anagram for satan <laughs> Have you ever thought about that I, I, think, I mean just think about that for a second like who robs jesus of the most glory at christmas time a fat red dude in a suit <laughs> whose name is an anagram for satan just saying, okay? So, like, I mean, if you're into the Santa thing, go for it. I, that's fine. Like, I could sit up here. Like, I had a, a friend in ministry who years ago read the, the scientific statistics on what it would take for Santa to actually get down every chimney across the world and how fast he'd be able to do it and that he would literally spontaneously combust if if it was possible, right? But but just let that resonate for a second because I, I, I like it does not shock me that Santa robs Jesus of a bunch of glory and his name is actually a, an anagram for Satan. Just throwing that out there, right? But is, is it Santa that you're excited about? Maybe maybe it's the idea of just getting a couple of days off of work. I I don't know what it is, right? But how many of you guys, when I asked that question, why do you love Christmas time? You thought I get to worship Jesus more more intentionally. Like on, honestly, sit there and reflect there for a second. and Think that that was the the first thing that came to your mind. If I if I'm honest, right, when I was thinking of that question, it was not the first thing that came to my mind. Right, the first thing that came to my mind was, especially this year. Well, I've already visited my family in Virginia. I don't have to go back up into the cold again, and I can just relax a couple of days in warm Florida, probably in flip-flops. Maybe I'll worship the Lord because I live in a place that's warm now. Right, but there but there was nothing there, and yet. Guys, this is exactly what the Christmas season is supposed to be centered around, is worship, right? Look, at, look, look real quick with me in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to read right, the, the, the birth story of Jesus to you, but I want you to notice something. Okay, so Jesus is born, right? And look at what happens immediately after Jesus is born, according to, to, to Luke. He says, "...in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night." Jesus's birth story being shared, and some angels show up to some random shepherds in a field, and what starts happening? Worship. The angels are singing and declaring the glories of God and that Jesus has finally arrived, and what is the shepherd's response? Worship. And what does their worship incite? More worship, that the arrival of Christ Leads to the angels and then the shepherds and then Mary and then the people in town worshiping God for what he has done. Which brings us back to the the call that we read together in Psalm 150 and what I want to encourage us in this morning. That this season is a call to reset, reorient, and recenter our lives around worshiping Jesus Christ. Christmas is not about whether you got enough gifts for people. Whether you've gotten the, the, the right time with your family. By the way, guys, here's something I just want to like, ca- caution you to think through as you think through Christmas, right? Because we've become so transactional. Right? A gift is supposed to be a reflection of God's grace, an unmerited, unearned gift that someone gives you because they love you and care for you. But so much of giving of presents, even in this season, has turned into transactional grace, where if someone gets you a present, what do you have to do? Give them a present in return. That's not gift giving, right? That's an economy, right? Quid pro quo, whatever you want to call it, right? Where someone gives something and gives something in return, right? The idea of gift giving originally was supposed to reflect the the glory of God's gracious gift to us in Christ. And yet even at Christmas time, we have turned something beautiful that's supposed to reflect God's glory and remind us of it into something to pull our minds and our attention in another direction. And guys, if you think this doesn't affect you, guess what it does? If you think that every time someone gives you something, you have to give something in return, you will struggle to understand the gospel because Jesus freely gives himself to and for you so that you might be freed from the bondage of sin and you cannot repay him. And if you walk through life viewing it transactionally, you are going to struggle to embrace the grace that God has given us in his son. And so what we see in Psalm 150, right, is a call from God to his people singing, Hey, listen up. Here we go. Time to praise God. That's what we're going to do. Right? In, in those six verses, the word praise is mentioned 13 times. And, if, and I did a little bit of studying this past week. The word praise is used hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament. And there are seven different words used for the word praise. Okay, so anybody want a, a quick word lesson in some of those words just to kind of learn a bit, a little bit? Well, you're going to get it anyway, whether you don't or not, all right? All right, so, so one, the first way that it's used is the word the law, and it just means to praise with shouts, right? When, when, when they use that Hebrew word, right, God is declaring to his people, hey, just yell, yell loudly, praise loudly. Uh, there's the Hebrew word zamar, right, which means to praise with instruments and voices, meaning that music is supposed to be involved, right? There's this one, hallelujah. How many of you guys have heard that one before? Right that's that's a common run. Okay, hallelujah is is actually a, a call to enter into corporate praise. It would be the the idea of someone running out and yelling, "Church is starting, let's go!" Right? That 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 is that is what they're calling for, right? Is a is a call to attention and worship and be ready to praise together. Right? There's the Hebrew word yada Right, which just means to lift up your arms and surrender. And I, some of us, you know, we're, we're kind of dead in worship here sometimes. I'm just going to call you guys out, right? We're we're kind of dead here in worship sometimes, But every time I look around, a few of you guys are doing this thing, right? Right? Th- there is something intrinsically inside of you where you are surrendering to the Lord in worship when you do that, right? That there's this idea of you lift your hands and surrender to the Lord. There's the 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 Hebrew word talda, right? Which means that you sing praises in community and in unison together, right? And some of you guys are like, oh, this sounds weird." But the, the idea of this one is like, have any, have any of you guys ever been to a concert where the band kind of only had like one hit? And you're kind sit, of sitting around, and everyone's like, all right, cool. Like, which song is this? Right? And everyone's waiting around and like, it's kind of like dead. The concert's kind of dead. And then all of a sudden they play that hit and what happens? Everyone's singing, right? It's like it's like at the Gator football games, right? When Tom Petty comes on in between the third and fourth quarter, what's everybody doing? Singing together, right? Most of you guys have no idea who Tom Petty is or what ninety percent of his songs are, but you know that one, right? And you are singing in unison together, right? You are participating in this Hebrew idea of taldah, right? And then there's the Hebrew word shabbat, right? Which which actually, when it's a call to praise, it it. It's a, it's a command to reach out to God and to feel his presence, to experience him and to praise him that you can even enter into his presence. But in Psalm 150, he only uses one term. Even though he says the word praise 13 times in those six verses, he only uses one word, and that's the Hebrew word halal. And the word literally means to boast foolishly or make a boast in something, meaning you singing praises should look foolish. That's what, so when you, when I had you guys stand up and read Psalm 150, what you guys were saying is, let's foolishly laugh and loudly proclaim the glories of God together, right? That's, that is what the, the understanding is there in Psalm 150. And if you guys don't really know, you're kind of like, well, what do you mean by that? Turn over with me to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 6. I want to share a story with you because I think this beautifully kind of embodies this idea of halal, right? This this idea of what it means to boast foolishly in God and his goodness. Uh, starting in verse 14. So David's just kind of um, been given victory, and the ark is returning to God's people. And this is what David does after the ark of the covenant is returned to God's people, starting in verse 14. And David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel brought up the ark of the Lord with shouting and with the sound of the horn. Now as the ark of the Lord, so by the way, let me preface some of this before I keep going, right? So, linen Ephod, there's debate among scholars, right? But David is a king, and he is not in his kingly garments at minimum. Some people think David is basically dancing in the equivalent of um, Old Testament underwear, Okay, and so he's dancing, he's singing, he's praising through the streets as they come through the, the, the streets, returning the ark, and look what happens. As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michal, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw David leaping and dancing before the Lord. And what? And she despised him in her heart. Then all the people departed to the house. Now, I love this part of the story. This this is the part I want you guys to really focus in on. All right, David's been doing the halal thing. He's been crazy praising God for his faithfulness to them. Then look what happens. And David returned to bless his household. But Michal, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel honored himself today. Uncovering himself today before the eyes of his servants, female servants as one of the vulgar fellows, shamelessly uncovers himself. And David said to Michal, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above of all the house to appoint me as prince over Israel to the people of the Lord, and I will celebrate before the Lord. I will make myself yet more contemptible than this, and I will be abased in your eyes. And so what we see there, right, is, is here you have Saul's daughter coming before, before David and saying, dude, you embarrassed yourself. You're a king. Act like a king. Right? And what does David say? I don't care. Right? I was praising God's faithfulness to us. I don't care what I looked like. I don't care if you saw more than you wanted to see. I don't care if I didn't have on the proper kingly garments. God is worthy of that level of foolishness to declare how great he is. Guys, let, let me just say this, right? Especially since a lot of us are younger in the room, and I think the younger you are, the more you care about what other people think of you. And I, I think like, in, in the evangelical subculture that is much of the church in America right now, this is probably like one of the biggest troubles we have which is trying as hard as we can to not look too different from the world. Christian, if you're a Christian in here this morning, it is okay if you look a little weird sometimes. Okay? Think about this for a second. You believe that God was incarnate and born of a virgin. You believe that same child grew, right? Was the equivalent of an itinerant preacher for three years traveling around the Holy Land, and then was crucified for crimes he did not commit and was buried. And then you also believe this about that man, that he rose from the dead three days later. We believe weird stuff, it's okay. Like that story should sound foolish to everyone else. Now here's the thing, it's foolish, but it's true. But you cannot package that story to our culture and not sound weird. I hate to break it to you. You cannot package that story in a way that does not sound weird. to Now, again, I'm not telling you be the guy that's being a jerk and, and has no like cultural boundaries or awareness, but what I am saying is that by definition, right, God calls us to a standard of praise and worship that should look foolish to those around us sometimes even those within our same community, right? We should look different, especially at this time of year, than the rest of the world. Christians, more than anyone else during the Christmas season, should look different than everyone else. And guys, it is not hard to do this. I can give you some really simple tips that would allow you to worship God Not even have to do anything super crazy and yet still look foolish. Number one, don't give in to consumerism. Like, what if you didn't go into gross amounts of financial debt at Christmas time? And your kids got one gift instead of 5,000. I don't know if you guys are like me. Consumerism isn't even really that hard in my house because we don't have a very big house, so I don't have any place to put my kids' stuff. Right To, to, to kind of push back on this and say, you know what? We're going we're gonna to seek to make much of Jesus this season. We're going to seek to worship him. We're not going to give in to the, the typical idea of, of having to spend a bunch of money at this time of year. I don't care how good the deals are. We're not, we're not going to do it. Maybe it's something as simple as giving some of your time to those who, who need you. Right? Instead, instead of having 10 Christmas meals, have nine and go serve one. Guys, I gained 10 pounds in one week in Virginia. We eat way too much. Some of you guys are like, how? You will turn 27 and then you'll know exactly what I'm talking about one day. Amen. Thank you. Anyone over the age of 27 is like, uh-huh. All you college students are like, I don't understand. You will. You will. Metabolism dies. And it does not resurrect. <laughs> and and the reality is, right, is that you could give time to those who need you, and that's gonna look crazy to other people. Because guess what? Most people don't do that. You can care more about what you give than what you get. My mother's a great example of this. Every Christmas year, she just she starts contacting local agencies in our hometown to just find people who aren't gonna be able to have a Christmas on their own. And she just she just she literally gives them a Christmas. And now she's got our family involved in that. Like our entire immediate family. She just says, you know what? Like, we're really blessed and we've been able to do a lot. We're, we're just gonna do this. And guys, we did this as a church. We just sent hundreds of toys to Colombia so that some kids in Colombia could experience the magic of opening a gift on Christmas. Okay, something that simple. Looks crazy to the world around of us. And guys, this this is the pattern of Jesus, and this is the pattern of what it means to be a follower of Jesus that praising him and worshiping him is gonna look a little weird. It's gonna look a little foolish. And guess what? It is okay because guess what? We grow in our delight of God when we praise him and worship him. This is this is the beautiful thing. I, I love this about Psalm 150. Do you notice what he's declaring that we do there? Right, that psalm is just singing over Israel, right, just saying, you know what we need to do right now, Israel? You know what we need to do? We just need to sing about how great God is. We just need to sing about it. We don't even, do you you realize that God is saying that your Christmas season could be radically changed if you just started singing more songs that glorify God and honored him during the Christmas season? It it could be that simple, And I'm not even a music person. My wife will be the first one to tell you. The other day I was sitting there and like, Gideon, he can't sing. Josiah, he's got the gift. He's got perfect pitch. So I'm sitting there, I'm singing a song with Josiah and I'm like, man, this kid's got great pitch. Jackie's like, how do you know? Because I was off pitch and I heard him matching it. Like, it can be that simple. And you know what, if he can't sing, who cares? Because the idea of praising God in song is what? foolishness you can look foolish and sing and it's okay some of you guys in here worship comes on like you're all bubbly personality and the music comes on you're like hands go in the pocket like well you know someone might hear me who cares we're singing songs declaring the goodness of god and what he's done and in the words of david i will become even more contemptible than this for the sake of praising God. Praising God for things like his, his mighty deeds and his excellent goodness towards us, right? For, and we'll do it, you know? We'll do it with anything. I love this, right? Because there's always big debates in churches over what worship should look like. There's like every Old Testament instrument you could possibly thought of listed here, right? Trumpet, lute, harp, tambourine, dance, strings, pipe, cymbals. You can use it, right? If grandma tells you this year that your Christmas music doesn't honor God because it's not with an organ, just say, well, David disagreed, but that's cool. You know? God's just like, yeah, God's like, I don't really care about the specifics. Just declare foolishly how great I am. Some of you guys are like, do I know for sure that this is talking about me? What's that last line? What's that last line in Psalm 150? Let everything that what? Has breath. You would not be alive if you're not breathing, so guess who he's talking about? You. Right? God is declaring to us, all of us, that we can enter into God's presence, his sanctuary, as he says there, right, to praise him and glorify him. Guys, like Christmas season is a great time to just worship God in song. Some of my favorite songs are Christmas songs, right? I, I see this, right? I wanna, I wanna kind of like press into this for just a second and have you guys think about two things because I think God is so interested in us making singing a part of our worship experience that there's, there's two things biblically that we can even kind of pull from this to see about why it's so important. Right, turn over with me to Deuteronomy chapter 31. I want you guys to see something here because it's really cool. Um, if you guys are unfamiliar with the book of Deuteronomy, it's basically um, Moses' last sermon to the Israeli people. And he's, he's, he's talking to them, He's basically saying, okay, my, my time is running out here. here. Here's what I have to say to you guys. Here's what, I, here's what I want you guys to know. And when you get to verse 31, right? Um, what's happened is Joshua has been chosen to succeed Moses and lead God's people, and then they, they read the law, and then Joshua kind of gets commissioned to lead. And then what happens is, once you get to verse 19, right, God says something really cool to Moses. He says, hey Moses, teach Israel this song. Teach it to them, because I want them to know some specific things. And look what he says. It says now therefore write this song and teach it to the people of Israel put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel for when i have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey which i swore to give to their fathers and they have eaten and are full and grown fat they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant and when many evils and troubles have come upon them this song Shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give them. Do you see what God's saying to Moses there? He's saying, Moses, I'm going to give this land to to my people. I'm going to bless them. I'm going to be faithful to them. And once they see that faithfulness, they're going to turn away from me and worship other gods. And what's going to happen to bring them back to him? A song. Right, that God uses singing to encourage us to reflect on his goodness and repent of sin. Isn't that beautiful? And some of you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. You'll have been struggling. You'll been going through life. And then you'll show up to church on Sunday morning. And there'll be a song that is sung there. And you'll just be like, you'll just, you'll just, I see this sometimes. You'll just be crying. And there's nothing wrong with that. That is a good and godly thing that should happen when God convicts you of your sin and then reminds you of his graciousness towards you in Christ. Because that's what God has designed worship to be, is to move from the head to the heart so that we might respond to him. The other thing that music does is this, is that in taking this singing, right, God helps us to take theological ideas and theological truths, and remember them, and tie them to heartfelt emotion, right? He says this in Colossians 3, if you've ever read Colossians 3. This is a fairly famous passage, but in Colossians three sixteen, he says this, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, and doing what? Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Do you know, it's like that is the charge of Paul to the, the church at Colossae is to what? Care about the word of God and do what together? Sing songs. Sing songs that remind them of their thankfulness towards God. And, and, and here's what this does, right? That, that singing of those psalms and those hymns and those spiritual songs allows God's people to take truths about who he is and remember it. All right, I'm, I want to play a game with you guys for a second. How many of you guys... Read your Bible sometimes in the morning, and you can't remember what you read at, 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 by lunchtime. Yeah, a good portion of you guys. My wife does that sometimes. I'm going to call her out here for just a second. She remembers every line to TLC's No Scrubs. Some of you guys are like, what's that song? It's catchy. It's terrible. She is dying laughing right now because she knows it's true right? But that's what music does, though, right? Music just gets in, burned into our brains, and we, like, I'll, I will not have heard a song for 15 years, and it comes on the radio, and I'm just singing. I'm like, how do I remember this? I don't even remember what I had for dinner last night, and yet this song is burned in my brain. You guys have probably heard this, right? Alzheimer's patients often can't even remember their own family members If a song or an old hymn like Amazing Grace starts playing, guess what? They start singing it, right? Because God has designed us biologically, right, for music to speak to our souls, right, and to be a a piece in which allows us to worship him. It's just how God's designed it, right? So I'm not calling Jackie out for remembering TLC's song and, and not remembering anything. That's just the way God designed us. And we can enjoy worshiping him in song. And so here's what I want us to do with this call to worship for Psalm 150 and how how I want to kind of encourage us to to be thinking through, you know, the next 21 days or so. Christmas is a, a season where you and I are invited to tell a story. Right, just that culturally, the very idea of this season is where you and I are invited to tell the story, and that that story is to declare the goodness of God and His mighty deeds. Exactly what's talked about in Psalm one hundred and fifty to declare His goodness and His mighty deeds in Jesus Christ, in the in the birth of a child in a manger in Bethlehem. That that's what this season calls us to do. How this. Baby child is the embodiment of God's excellence towards his people, his goodness, his greatness, his loving kindness. If we were to turn Christmas this year into an opportunity to see a greater worship of Jesus, what might that look like? If Christmas became about seeking a greater worship of Jesus, of Jesus what would change maybe it's simple maybe you go home at lunch today and you ask Alexa whatever it is you have in your house to play some Christmas music and, not, and I'm, I'm not talking Mariah Carey I play some good honest Jesus exalting music Songs like Joy to the World, The First Noel, or my, fir- my Personal Favorite, Oh Holy Night. And just sing and look like a fool. And it's okay. Because it's an opportunity to sing of God's goodness. And then as you do that, what other shift could you make where you could invest your time, invest your talents, invest your money, invest your gifts, and serving and caring for others, even if it's your immediate family. Guys, a lot of you guys have family members that don't know Jesus. You can still do your same family tradition and make it different. If I'm honest, some of you guys are even praying for me. Like, when I'm around my family, some of my family is straight up crazy. If you think I'm crazy, you should see some of my family. And being around them, I'm always like, uh. what if we took that time as an opportunity to instead to declare the glories and the goodness of God to us in the last year? And to love them. I've got multiple families going through broken marriages and broken families right now. How hard it would, be, would it be for me to just ask them, how are you guys doing? Are you hurting? Can I be praying for you? one small little change can make all the difference in making much of jesus how can you take this season as a time to worship and as an act of worship invite someone else to worship jesus too because that's what this is all about it's not about getting a new iphone it's not about a couple days off from work paid It's not about a couple weeks off from school with no exams or tests or professors being mad at you. This is a season to worship Jesus and invite other people to worship him too. And guys, I'm I'm here to tell you this. If we did this, if we did this, if we lived this out and worshiped fully as a church, engaging those around us, right, equipping them with the good news of Jesus and empowering them to live that out. We would stop arguing over things on whether it's important to put Merry Christmas on a cup at Starbucks, and we would start embodying the real spirit of Christmas, which is giving, loving, and worshiping. If I can get somebody to turn the lights down, I'm gonna give us a, a, a time to, to reflect here and respond like we do every week here at right, we're gonna We're gonna take communion like we do every week, right? And before you take communion, right, I would just, I would ask that you would sit in your chair and just pray and just ask God, God, what what are you calling me to do? What are you asking me to change so that I might see a greater worship of Jesus during this season? both personally in my own life, but also in the life of my family and those around me. What are you asking me to do? Is it as simple as, as singing a song, going Christmas caroling? Or are you asking me to do something even bigger? But what might it be? And then, and then walk up here and take communion joyfully, worshiping that what you're doing when you take communion is thanking God that he gave his son to forgive you of your sins. If you're not a Christian, we'd ask that you not take communion, not because we don't want you to eat. We've got food in the back if you want. I think there's some really good cereal and fruit back there. Right, but what, what communion is supposed to be is a reflection and an understanding of praise and worship to God that he gave himself for us and thanking him for doing that. So I'm going to pray for us, and then we can respond and reflect on what it means to worship Jesus more fully this season God thank you for your word thank you that we can worship you in spirit and in truth and that we can praise you and look foolish because as your word says the, the, the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but it is peace and life to those who know Holy Spirit, flood our hearts in this time so that we might worship you more fully and see a greater worship of Jesus. That's what our hearts long for. As we sang earlier, Lord. It's what our hearts long for to be overcome by your presence, Lord. Jesus, might you meet us in this time and change us this morning to leave here forever engaged to worship you more fully, to experience you more joyfully, and to share that good news with others. Thank you, Heavenly Father. And I ask this all in Jesus' name.